Hey everyone, welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today we are talking about a topic that I cannot wait to explore with you. It is how does diet influence our risk of cardiovascular disease? And my goal is that you walk away today with a sound understanding of the influence of diet on the risk of cardiovascular disease. And so the person that I brought to you to really lay this out in a palatable way is Danny Lennon. Danny is a great expert on nutrition. He talks about things in a way that all of us can understand. Most importantly, he helps us take science-based information and apply it to our everyday lives. So Danny is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, and he's also the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. So I'm going to bring Danny in and have him introduce himself. Uh, a pleasure to to be here. Uh, I think the a quick overview for people is I run a company, as you said, Sigma Nutrition, with our goal of putting out evidence-based information around nutrition science. And so that's really taking what are we seeing in research and academia and then translating that for practitioners, whether that be dietitians, nutritionists, uh, health and fitness professionals, and so on, to try and really connect what's going on between the two of those. Uh, we do that through various forms of media, including the podcast, like you mentioned, but also through written content, as well as lectures and seminars and so on. And so uh, hopefully we'll be able to get into some of that good stuff today and, and see what is useful for practitioners to know. Yeah, I love that because it's it's one thing to have all the science, but it's another thing to have someone like you who can take the science and make it palatable for the rest of us. You can explain it to us and say, but here's how you actually apply the science. And that's what matters the most. Of course, we want it to be evidence-based. Of course, we want to know that there's science behind what you're, the information that you're giving us. But more importantly, we're all just like, hey, but you know what? How does this apply in my everyday life? And how do I help my clients? So Danny, we know that heart disease is a leading cause of death globally. And today I want to uncover just some tips that trainers can share with their clients to guide them to healthier diets and more positive outcomes. And so can you kind of just start by explaining heart disease and the role that diet plays? Sure. So when we're looking at the role of diet in heart disease risk, um, there's a few things to mention here. First of all, there's probably a number of factors that will influence someone's risk of heart disease. So first of all, we need to make that clear. We're not saying that diet is the only one. And then also someone's diet isn't necessarily saying we are guaranteed of a certain outcome if someone eats a certain way. We're talking about changes in risk. But what we're probably going to focus on for much of this conversation is how does the dietary choices we make and our diet pattern overall influence the progression of atherosclerosis, which is that depositing of cholesterol in the arterial wall. And then from there, we can get cardiovascular events off the back of that. Um, that could come from this thickening of, of that plaque that essentially builds up on the arterial wall, or more commonly, it, it can be happen from a rupture to that plaque, and then we can get a cardiovascular event. And so it's important to recognize the way we think about this is in, I suppose, a, a couple of different steps. First, we can look at what increases the likelihood of atherosclerosis or cardiovascular disease uh, occurring or progressing. 
Um, and we can look at that in terms of something called blood lipids, which I'm sure people will be familiar with if they maybe have gone to their family physician or their general practitioner and got a lipid panel as a blood test. And they will see things like total cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, HDL cholesterol, triglycerides, uh, that be termed as their lipid panel. So how do some of those blood lipids influence the progression of atherosclerosis and our cardiovascular disease risk? And then how does certain changes to our diet influence these lipids and then how do we tie that together by looking at overall what does the evidence tell us about eating certain types of diets and someone's risk of actual cardiovascular disease at the end so we're, we can kind of talk through each of the those main components and so um we, we can uh, dive in at any departure point but it might be useful to start talking about how those blood lipids, first of all, impact uh, heart disease risk. And then from there, we can maybe move to some of the, the nutrient considerations. Okay. So one thing I do want to kind of do, Danny, is just kind of uh, give a brief overview of kind of what I heard you just say. And that is that diet isn't the only thing that influences our risk of cardiovascular disease. And you kind of put that disclaimer out there right away. And I think that's key because there are other factors that influence cardiovascular disease risk. And we all know that genetics plays a big role. Um, and you also, I heard you say that there's not a direct correlation. Um, X does not lead to Y, so to speak. And uh, that was bad, you know, but anyway, that diet, uh, that diet doesn't equal, there's not a positive correlation between you're going to do this type of diet and then automatically you're going to decrease your risk. It's, it's not a direct correlation because these other things come into play, things like genetics. And um, so did I do a fair job of kind of, kind of going over that? Yeah. One clarification point I would make for people is that we, we can't say if one individual eats this certain type of diet, then we can 100% guarantee they don't get cardiovascular disease, or we can't 100% guarantee that they will get uh, cardiovascular disease or even have a cardiovascular event. We're talking about degrees of risk, um, and we can change that risk based on these dietary changes. But we certainly know then at a population-wide level, if we change uh, these dietary patterns, we do see uh, direct impacts on some of these cardiovascular events. And certainly there are uh, definitely dietary changes that people can make right now that will change their risk of developing atherosclerosis and having cardiovascular disease uh, at a later time point. And so our goal is how do we eat in a way and how do we live in a way that we minimize that risk as much as possible? And there's certainly things that we, we can do on that front. Okay. Well then let's depart where you want to depart. So let's start with what you think would be the most helpful way to kind of give us an understanding of the types of diet and health, you know, healthy lifestyle changes we can make to mitigate our risk. Cause really that's what matters most. So let's go where you are. Sure. So I think what is most important to this conversation around diet, as we will see for for reason that makes sense is to look at this uh, progression of atherosclerosis. So this buildup of uh, plaque in the arterial wall and this depositing of cholesterol within the arterial wall. And how does that develop? And what are the maybe dietary influences of that? First of all, there's a few things that are tied into this whole process of atherosclerosis. And uh, we're not trying to oversimplify here because there are other things like uh, inflammation, for example, that could play a role. What is most important for this discussion today is that we know that certain types of particles that are related to blood lipids, as we'll explain in a moment, have a causal role in atherosclerosis, meaning that this is a very strong 
connection between this is not just simply uh, a correlation that we know that certain blood lipids will have a are in that causal pathway to lead to atherosclerosis. So let's go back to that lipid panel I mentioned a few moments ago. And we have our total cholesterol, our LDL cholesterol, our HDL cholesterol. What are those measuring? They are measuring the cholesterol content of certain uh, particles that are going around in, in our bloodstream. So for example, if we look at uh, LDL cholesterol, and that's the main thing we're going to focus on today, because in terms of, of risk, LDL cholesterol or people may have seen that term bad cholesterol is the one that is going to correlate most to risk as opposed to total cholesterol or, or even HDL cholesterol. And so with LDL cholesterol, what that is actually measuring is the amount of cholesterol inside a particle called a low density lipoprotein. So that's where we get LDL, low density lipoprotein. And so LDL cholesterol is how much cholesterol is inside of that particle. And what we see is that there is an overwhelming body of evidence at this point to show that higher levels of LDL cholesterol will be a causal factor in driving atherosclerosis. Now, we can maybe refine that a bit more, and this might be getting into a bit of the details that some people may be interested of, but it is worth mentioning, in that in that progression of atherosclerosis, it's actually how many of these certain lipoproteins or these certain particles that are in our bloodstream that is the real risk factor. So remember, we're saying that we have cholesterol inside these lipoproteins, and then we have different types of lipoproteins. So I've named one LDL, low-density lipoprotein. As the name suggests, HDL stands for high-density lipoprotein. And then we also have others called very low-density lipoprotein, VLDL, and intermediate-density lipoprotein, IDL. So without people worrying about remembering all of these, we simply know that there's these different uh, sizes of these uh, lipoproteins that can carry... Um, uh, lipids and can carry uh, cholesterol. So, so can I clarify something? Yes. You're saying that it's not just how many particles, but the size of the particles. We have different sizes of particles, and this is where the type of particle actually matters. So we know that HDL cholesterol, for example, that's often referred to as our good cholesterol, is because more HDL or more of these HDL particles doesn't increase risk of atherosclerosis progression. Um, and the kind of reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into, it's just this, this particle doesn't get stuck into the wall of our arteries. So the other particles do. This HDL uh, doesn't get stuck within the arterial wall, so it's not atherogenic. That's what we would say. It's not uh, playing a role in developing atherosclerosis. Those other particles I mentioned, LDL, IDL, VLDL, they're all what we call pro-atherogenic lipoproteins. So they can get stuck in that arterial wall and uh, contribute to this development of an atherosclerotic plaque or this plaque that builds up on the arterial wall leading to atherosclerosis. And so the amount of those types of atherogenic lipoproteins relates to the, the risk of developing cardiovascular disease. So we know that there's the, a few different things going on, but for simplicity, the reason why we look at something like LDL cholesterol, for example, is this is measuring the amount of cholesterol within those low-density lipoproteins. And 
in the majority of people in the population, so probably around 75 to 80% of people, if you have a high LDL cholesterol, then you're going to have a high amount of these atherogenic lipoproteins going around. And so you're at higher risk of developing atherosclerosis. It's going to lead to atherosclerosis progression. Um, in a small amount of people, there might be disagreement between those numbers. In other words, that they might have a test that shows um, normal LDL cholesterol, but they have a lot of particles or vice versa. But again, that's a, a smaller amount of people and their doctor will probably be doing more testing with them uh, in cases where it's warranted, hopefully. But in, in general, we can see that LDL particles and certainly LDL cholesterol um, are implicated in this progression of atherosclerosis. So all of that is to say the, the only thing we really need to remember here is that if someone has a really elevated LDL cholesterol, um, and certainly if they have an elevated number of these atherogenic lipoproteins, then that is causal in atherosclerosis progression. And so there, that, therefore, that's a problem. And so what we're going to look at is, well, what dietary changes would lead to someone's LDL cholesterol going up really high or their LDL cholesterol going from high and coming back down? And they might be some of the changes that we would look at from a diet standpoint. And so how we're really influencing that end risk of cardiovascular disease is we're changing some of these uh, lipoproteins and therefore the, the cholesterol content uh, of the lipoproteins that can then get stuck in this arterial wall. So hopefully that is starting to make some degree of sense. Right. It definitely does. And so I'm talking to Danny Lennon and Danny is the founder of Sigma Nutrition and he's the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. And our topic today is how does diet influence our risk of cardiovascular disease? And Danny, you're, you started out by what I think is a perfect starting point and that is to talk about the per progression of atherosclerosis. And you mentioned that inflammation plays a role, but that there are certain types of particles that have a causal role leading to atherosclerosis. And we all know that we all know HDL is the healthy cholesterol, but the other ones, LDL, VLDL, and IDL do contribute to plaque. And so what I hear you say is that once we kind of understand what are those causal factors and, and, um, that leads to atherosclerosis what can we do how can we come in here and say okay what how can we navigate our diet to um not increase our risk to not increase our ldl and those things that might ultimately lead to atherosclerosis how is that for synopsis yeah absolutely perfect um, and i think that actually sets us up perfectly to start thinking through, well, what are those dietary components that yeah. influence those, those blood lipids negatively? Probably what the best place to start and by far the most important to consider from a dietary perspective is the total amount of saturated fat in the diet is going to be connected to the levels of LDL cholesterol we typically see uh, within someone's uh, serum. So for example, if you take someone who has a very high saturated fat intake relative to people at lower intakes, then you are going to more likely see elevated LDL cholesterol and therefore they are at higher risk of heart disease. And so then the question becomes, well, what do we mean by high and what do we mean by low? So we know from dietary guidelines, all typically recommend to keep saturated fat intake less than 10% of your total daily calories. And so in a moment, we can kind of give some examples of what that 
might look like in practice, but we have a kind of very clear recommendation of total saturated fat should be 10% of your calories or less per day. When we start to see intakes in, in research of somewhere like 16%, 18%, or certainly when it gets beyond that um, higher, higher intake, and you compare that to lower intakes of saturated fat, then you see these stark differences both in uh, those blood lipids and LDL cholesterol, but also actually in heart disease uh, events and mortality. And so we have this very, very strong body of evidence that all converges on the kind of same conclusion that very high intakes of saturated fat, particularly over long periods of time, have this uh, significant impact on uh, atherosclerosis development and therefore significantly increasing risk of, of cardiovascular events uh, and cardiovascular mortality. And so the main takeaway from, from that first piece is then we want to make sure that the amount of saturated fat in the diet is below those intakes that we take typically see recommended. So like I said, most dietary guidelines will suggest 10% of calories per day or less. Um, you might see some cases where if someone has previously had a cardiovascular event or is at very high risk or has very high blood lipids, they might even be recommended to keep theirs lower than that, less than 7%, for example. But typically the number for the general population is keep intake 10% of calories or less um, is going to keep that risk of cardiovascular disease lower. Um, but when you get very high saturated fat intakes, you are um, at, at higher risk because of its impact on LDL cholesterol. So with that, then the question is, well, what are we talking about with saturated fat? What are sources of saturated fat? Where, right. what Thank you. That's where I was going to go. I was like, right. okay, well, give us the biggest culprits then. Right. So one of the um, easiest ways and a good heuristic for people to think of is typically when we look at a lot of animal-based sources of fat, they tend to be high in saturated fat. Uh, so fatty cuts of meat, for example, tend to be a con significant contributor to saturated fat intake within uh, the population. Um, and so that's why typically leaner cuts of meat are preferable to fattier cuts of meat because you're reducing that saturated fat intake uh, significantly. Uh, butter is probably one of the biggest offenders in terms of raising LDL cholesterol uh, because it's a very isolated source of um, saturated fat. And because of the types of saturated fat also seems to have this really strong impact on raising LDL cholesterol uh, relative to other foods, even relative to other dairy foods that are full fat. So butter is another con uh, significant contributor. And then also a lot of ultra processed foods that are high in, in fat typically um, can be contributors here, especially in the general population when intakes of these foods are high. So if, if you think of things like um, ice cream and chocolate and, and donuts and so on, they are all high fat foods and have a significant amount of saturated fat in them. I think, uh, unfortunately, people just tend to think of those as, as carbs uh, and it, they do indeed have a lot of sugar and therefore carbohydrate content. But one of the problems with them is they have a lot of dietary fat as well and a lot of saturated fat. And so that combination is also what makes them very pleasurable, but also very calorie dense. And so those would be the types of foods where we're getting uh, most of that saturated fat intake from. Um, and one important point that I will mention, and we can discuss this more, is that what we've learned in more recent decades around this is that when we're saying to limit saturated fat, 
we're actually not talking about the total amount of fat in your diet. Um, so whereas before it was, we would think more globally about the total amount of fat, it really is saturated fat that tends to be the problem. And so that means that someone could have a higher fat intake in their diet if they do prefer a, a higher fat intake. So some people prefer mm -hmm. to have lower carbohydrate and higher fat intakes. And you can actually do that and have a, a very healthful dietary pattern but with the caveat that you're actually keeping saturated fat intake low and most of your sources of fat would be from unsaturated sources. And these are generally, not always, but generally are going to be those plant-based sources of fats. So nuts and seeds and avocados and olive oil and so on. So okay. that's an important distinguisher. All right. So, you know, Danny, I want to reintroduce you because you were just um, really giving us some amazing insight. So I'm talking to Danny Lennon. He is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, and he is also the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. And our topic today is how does diet influence our risk of cardiovascular disease? And Danny started out talking about the progression of atherosclerosis and what kind of leads to higher levels of LDL and VLDL and IDL. And now we are moving into what is the biggest culprit? What is like the, the game changer when it comes to increasing um, those, the, when it comes to increasing our LDL levels and those risk factors toward atherosclerosis? And Danny, you're talking about saturated fat hands down. And in fact, the last thing Danny you said is, it's not that we can't necessarily have a high fat diet. We just can't have a high saturated fat diet. And you said less than 10% for most of us and those of us who have a really high risk factor, less than 7% possibly. And the animal sources like the fatty cuts of meat, butter, which I grew up on butter, 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 butter. My mom grew up on a farm. Um, ultra processed foods, like no more ding dongs. Okay. Uh, ice cream, which really breaks my heart. Uh, significant, you know, those are significant sources of saturated fat. How'd I do? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Uh, and I would add that it's, uh, I'm certainly not telling people that they can never consume these foods again. Yes. Uh, that's actually the opposite of what we, we, we want. Everybody's like, I'm done listening. <laughs> no, you can certainly, and I think it's actually helpful that we have room in our diets for foods that we enjoy just for the pleasure of eating them. But it right. is just about the dose of those and the frequency which we consume them. That's why we have these kind of like 10% of calories as opposed to 0%, you know, that there is a certain intake that we can have. And what we're talking about is the average intake in your diet over time. So we're looking at your, your pattern, your dietary pattern over a long period of time is what matters, not what you eat in one specific meal. Right, right. You can have that birthday cake and you can have your ice cream too. So, um, Danny, we kind of launched with the progression of atherosclerosis and we went into, you know, the big culprit, which is saturated fat. I kind of want to know where do you want to go next in deep diving into this? Do you want to talk about saturated fats to polyunsaturated fats? Because you started to kind of get into that type of plant-based diet or Mediterranean diet, if you will. Sure. So um, if we kind of pull it back and we've talked about that there's a uh, these macronutrients in our diet, protein, carbohydrates, and fat, we have our total amount of fat that we've um, said one of those subtypes of fat is saturated fat. So these saturated fatty acids or saturated fat is a subtype of the fat we get in the diet. We said that saturated fat is the one that has this strongest impact, but there are other subtypes of fat in the diet. So unsaturated fats. And within those, there are two subtypes. There's monounsaturated fat and there's polyunsaturated fat. 
Now, one of the things that is important to understand about nutrition and particularly with nutrition research is when we're talking about changing the level of a nutrient in the diet. So in this case, we're talking about having higher or lower levels of saturated fat. When we make those changes, we don't just change that in isolation because that has to get replaced by something, right? So mm -hmm. if we lower the amount of saturated fat in someone's diet, the question is not just, is it now lower and what impacts that have? Well, it depends on what we replace that with. So depending on what nutrient and therefore what foods replace that has differential impacts, particularly when we're looking at LDL cholesterol. So if we're taking a situation where let's say someone does actively want to reduce their LDL cholesterol levels, maybe it's borderline high, maybe it's actually gone high, uh, maybe they've been advised that they need to bring it down. And there is a kind of hierarchy of replacement that we see in research of what has that strongest lipid lowering effect. So what has the strongest uh, reduction on LDL cholesterol levels. So when we take out saturated fat, let's say we start reducing that intake. So we cut down on those fatty cuts of meat, cut down on butter intake, get that intake down to those recommended levels we've just mentioned of say 10% or less. And again, not everyone has to work this out, but we'd be thinking of moving it towards that direction by making these food choices. Now, if we were to replace that with foods that are sources of polyunsaturated fats, that seems to have the lowest, or has the best uh, LDL cholesterol lowering impact. And so we can replace it with these unsaturated sources of fat. And so that's where you typically see benefits for, like you said, if, if you're uh, consuming some of these plant-based sources of fats instead of the fat sources that you're getting from fatty cuts of meat or, or butter and so on, you're going to see this biggest LDL uh, cholesterol reduction. You then also can see reductions from the other types of subfats, so those monounsaturated fats uh, that you might get from other, again, plant uh, fat sources like avocados as an example. You can also get it from uh, maybe very high fiber foods. So again, this would be other types of fruits, vegetables, whole grains that have a high fiber content. But if you just took out some saturated fat and replaced it with refined sugar and refined carbohydrate, you actually don't see any risk reduction. So it does matter what you replace it with. So you can't just say, I'm reducing my saturated fat intake and now I'm going to replace all with sugar. Uh, it won't have the benefit that we're looking for. So that's why the easiest way to do this is let's pull it back to something really practical. Let's pull it back to food-based interventions instead of keep thinking about these nutrients in isolation. So we know these food groups that are typically the highest saturated fat content that we've mentioned already. We're going to try and be more moderate with those and reduce the amount of those in the diet. And now instead, we're going to advise people to get their fat sources from things like nuts and seeds and extra virgin olive oil and avocados and fatty fish like salmon or mackerel. And through that, they can have plenty of fat in the diet. And these are all can be, can uh, contribute positively to the diet. They can provide those nutrients and so on. And you're probably going to get this reduction in LDL uh, cholesterol from those. Um, and at the same time, we also know that there's a benefit to increasing fiber intake uh, in, in relation to blood lipids potentially as well. And so uh, increased fiber intake, again, if we're thinking of that in food-based interventions, we're talking about increasing the intake of whole grains as opposed to refined grains, including more fruits and vegetables because they contain fiber. Um, and avoiding things that are very low in fiber. So the overall dietary pattern increases in fiber.
can have a positive impact too. So again, it's about overall dietary change. Yeah. And not to mention that we both know that if you're eating more avocados and high fiber foods like fruits and vegetables, if you're eating more nuts and seeds and fatty fish, you feel more satiated, you have more energy, you feel better. And so what I really hear you say is if we know that saturated fat is a big culprit, it's not enough just to say cut back on your saturated fat. It's more about saying, what can you add to your diet? And it it goes back to that. What can I add instead of get rid of? So if I'm going to add more avocados and nuts and seeds and fatty fish, then I'm not going to probably crave those saturated fats anymore. It just goes to say that I'm going to feel fuller. I'm going to feel better and healthier, right? That's exactly it. It's thinking about in terms of overall food groups and overall average diet and where we're getting our, our food sources from. And then once we know what those are, then seeing, okay, how can I include more of these beneficial things that I know are good? And again, some of these changes might sound relatively simplistic, but we know from data looking at the diet of the general population that the vast majority of Americans massively underconsume fruits, massively underconsume vegetables, massively underconsume dietary fiber. And so shifting in that direction will get all those uh, beneficial things as well. And we also then will shift away from the high sources of saturated fat. And then we were, we're counseling clients around good quality sources of fat in their diet. We'll be talking about those unsaturated fat sources And as a general heuristic, that often tends to be more skewed towards those plant-based sources of fats as opposed to animal-based sources of fats. So they'd be some things to to bear in mind. Okay. So I'm talking to Danny Lennon, and and, uh, he is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, and he also has his own radio show called Sigma Nutrition Radio. So we're talking about the impact of diet on risk of cardiovascular disease. So when we are talking about those polyunsaturated fats and replacing saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats, is there anything else that you want to cover on this topic? Like any other types of, um, any other types of good sources of polyunsaturated fats besides the nuts, the seeds, the high fiber foods, the fatty fish, anything else that you want to throw out there? At this point, I think it's useful to think about, well, what are some maybe overall dietary patterns that are particularly higher in these and and lower in saturated fat? Because that's what people really move towards as opposed to thinking in terms of of nutrients. And this kind of connects things actually pretty well, because so far we've talked about this link between lipids and cardiovascular disease risk. Then we've looked at how certain nutrients impact these lipids. And then if we change these nutrients, we can have these change in lipids. And then the final piece is to kind of connect, so it's point A to point C. All right, how does our overall diet impact that overall risk of cardiovascular disease? Um, And we know it's going to do it through this impact on blood lipids, but overall we can look at these patterns. And some of the ones that we have some of the best data for is unsurprising because we have good data on this for many outcomes. So for example, a Mediterranean diet that we know has, uh, if if we look at this across a number of outcomes, we typically see benefit. One of those is lower cardiovascular disease risk. And if we think of why that might be, again, it fits in with everything we've just said. There's actually a decent bit of dietary fat within uh, Mediterranean diets, and this can uh, vary depending on exactly uh, the demographic we're looking at, but there's a decent source of, of fat within the diet, but it's coming from things like olives, olive oil, um, and fish, as opposed to 
those sources, like we mentioned, like butter and lots of fatty cuts uh, of meat. And so by nature, we see on average, these types of diets come in around six to 9% of their calories from saturated fat on average. So again, that actually fits within the guidelines and that's why they're there for a reason. So we're not saying people have to go and worry about, well, what is 10% of my calories and what is that in saturated fat? And now I need to track my saturated fat. We actually know what types of overall patterns correlate to those based on those food choices. So that's uh, one thing I'd say. Uh, the other thing that we maybe haven't mentioned in relation to nutrients uh, that could be important here um, that goes beyond fat is the amount of added sugars within the diet we also know is uh, an impact. So we briefly mentioned that if you reduce saturated fat intake, but you just replace that with added sugars, you actually don't see that risk reduction. You actually see the same impact. And that's because we know that very high intakes of, of added sugars within the diet tend to uh, correlate with that higher increase in um, cardiovascular disease risk. And so we, again, in, in most guidelines, you will tend to see figures of around 10% of total calories for added sugars in the diet as well. And so if we translate that again to uh, food-based interventions, that is one of the reasons why we're looking at more minimally processed foods or whole foods as the base for the diet. And then more ultra-processed foods that have lots of added sugars to them will play a minority role. So we'll have them uh, in a smaller frequency or smaller amounts and have it just for enjoyment. But they don't make up a large portion of the diet because they also factor into uh, disease risk. So we know okay. that the type of fat matters. Uh, we're going for more unsaturated fat rather than uh, saturated fat. We The total absolute amount of saturated fat is important to keep uh, lower. We know that taking that out of the diet and replacing it with polyunsaturated fat has a big impact or replacing it with um, monounsaturated fats or even uh, more complex high fiber carbohydrates uh, has a benefit, but also that there's a problem with uh, high intakes of added sugar from this cardiovascular disease perspective as well. So I think that yeah. all hopefully connects some of the things that we've discussed uh, together. Yeah, I absolutely think it does. I think that the final, final piece is absolutely instead of just, you know, um, lower saturated fat, increase uh, polyunsaturated fat. When you say Mediterranean diet, people can actually look that up and say, okay, these are some things that would fall into a Mediterranean diet aside from the nuts and the seeds and avocados and that type of thing. But also I think that it really was worth mentioning about the added sugar in our diet because that has a high correlation to our increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And you also mentioned no more than 10%. And I don't think that people realize how many, how much hidden sugar is in the foods that we eat. And that really comes from those processed foods. So um, I'm really glad that you kind of gave us that final piece of the puzzle. Um, so Danny, is there anything else that you kind of want to leave us with in terms of diet and risk of um, cardiovascular disease? Is there anything that you think that we might've missed that you want to kind of throw out there? Uh, I think we covered everything that's important. I suppose the final message I would, I would give people is that I'm very aware of information that is out there around on the internet that people will no doubt at some point come across, particularly if this is a, a topic that is of interest to them, that says things like um, saturated fat is not a problem. You should have lots of saturated fat in, in, in your diet. And this typically comes from, not always, but typically comes from a kind of certain low carb circles where 
they're saying as long as you have a low carbohydrate intake um, and you're not consuming a lot of carbohydrates or sugar, the amount of saturated fat doesn't matter. Some will go even further and say the amount of LDL cholesterol you have doesn't matter. And so you don't need to worry if your LDL cholesterol is high. And then some go even further and say, don't uh, take statin medication if you're suggested because this is all nonsense. You don't need to worry about any of this. And from my perspective, I cannot put as uh, any more emphasis than saying that we absolutely do know this impact between dietary intake, LDL cholesterol, and therefore cardiovascular disease risk. We know even with more certainty about that connection between LDL cholesterol or certainly LDL particles and atherosclerosis progression. And please do not listen to blogs around the internet and uh, reject uh, interventions that your doctor is recommending you, whether that is dietary or medical interventions through uh, very effective and safe drugs that we have, uh, listen to your doctor and don't listen to um, these kind of non-evidence-based articles or other pieces of media that you may see talking about uh, some of this not being accurate. Okay. Well, thank you, Danny, because what are, really what I appreciate you is that you take that science in you back it up by, um, you know, the science-based, evidence-based information, but you really make it very applicable and palatable to people. And so thank you so much for coming on and talking about the impact of diet and the risk of cardiovascular disease. And we know that it's the number one killer globally. And so I think that it really is worth mentioning with our clients is that it, it, exercise alone is not what makes the greatest impact. It's what we put into our body and how we feed our body in healthful ways. So once again, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to all of you from our NASM and Apple audience for tuning in. And I cannot wait to see you next week. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.